when you work on a bus all morning. Brother Josh just lost it at the end there. His voice is already half gone, and the day's just beginning. That's all right, though. 
Hey Amen. Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, the reason we keep singing that song all the time is because our message series is entitled, We Preach Christ. And so we're trying to keep it ahead of you. Now, if that mirrors a problem for you, then just go ahead and raise your hand and put it down. And we'll be good. All right? That'll be great. That way I know it's a problem. Huh? What's that? No, that's okay. I'll... I'll use these up here. This will be fine. Yeah, we'll get those set up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now, how many can actually see yourself in that mirror right now? That'll be very distracting, wouldn't it? Don't you hate when you go into a room and there's mirrors and you have to look at yourself? Now, me, of course, I enjoy it. It's extremely comforting to see myself because at least I know I'm alive. No, but really, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Isn't this very awkward, isn't it, though? You're standing there talking, you're thinking, man, do I really look like that? How many of you have ever heard yourself on a tape? Or you, you heard yourself recorded, and it kind of freaks you out? Yeah, that's how it is with me in, 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 in mirrors. You know, I don't see myself the way the world sees me. I see myself the way God sees me. Healthy and strong and virile and just so youthful. Then I look at myself and I realize I'm not really all that after all. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul the Apostle stands and says, but we preach Christ, Christ crucified. And the Jews, they found the cross, as we've mentioned, to be a stumbling block. Man, they wanted a sign. They wanted somebody to show them the way, of course, but a cross? Come on, a cross? Are you kidding me? That's an offense to us. We need somebody that will take charge. We need somebody that will lead an army. We need somebody to bring us safely from bondage to freedom, from Rome. A cross, a Savior, a crucified Savior? Are you kidding me? And they stumbled all over him, never recognizing who he really was. The Greeks, on the other hand, he tells us in their particular case, they believed that the cross was just simply foolishness in general. I mean, it was utterly ridiculous. The idea that the cross was the answer, it made no sense at all to them. As a matter of fact, it was extremely contrary to rational thinking and the worldly system in which they lived. But as offensive as the cross was, as offensive as the Savior was, Paul the Apostle stands and unapologetically proclaims, We preach Christ! 
He understood that Christ was and is the only answer to mankind's predicament. Christ is the answer. Therefore, he's the message. Who is this Christ? And so we began to address that, and we said that he is both God and creator. We noted over there in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and no one in the room would dispute the fact that God created, I doubt. If you do dispute it, you are misled and misguided because Jesus Christ, or should I say God before I get there, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, is creator. There was and is a creator. I'm so glad there is because that creator brings order to this world where there would be none. There would be only anarchy. And then in Colossians chapter 1, we look back at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created, but we see in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, speaking of Jesus now. For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. We said that Jesus Christ is both God and creator. And the Bible clearly points that out and directs us to that truth. But then we recognize then, therefore, as God and creator, we realize, according to Psalm chapter 113, verse 6, that he's so high, so high, so lifted up, that the Bible says he has to humble himself to behold things that are in heaven and in earth. That he literally has to humble himself. He has to get down on his knees in order to see heaven, let alone earth. He's so exalted. He's so high up and so lifted up and so far beyond us that he must humble himself, literally get down on his knees to see the heavens and the earth. He's so high and lifted up. We said that not only was he God and creator, but we said that he's Christ the sustainer. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. What a blessing to think that for 40 years these people in the wilderness had the hand of God providing and protecting them. We have to run out and buy shoes about every six months, every year, every two years, whatever it might be. My friend, for 40 years they didn't have to change their shoes. I don't know what their, their shoes were made out of, but that was some pretty good stuff. i got to believe that God did something supernatural. And indeed he did because he fed them with manna in the wilderness and he fed, gave them uh, sustenance through the rock even and water that came forth. And he provided for his people in the midst of the wilderness. He is the sustainer. Who is this Jesus that Paul the apostle proclaims? Who is this Jesus that he preaches? He is God and creator. He is sustainer. And we said last week he is savior. We've seen from the prophecy in Genesis 3, all the way through the whole Bible, we see tremendous pictures of Christ as Savior. Ultimately, we see him hanging on a cross where he finally cries out, It is finished! Redemption's plan had been fulfilled, and now he was capable and able to save them that are lost. In that sense, the price had been paid in full. He is Savior. So we've already noted that Christ is the Creator, He's the Sustainer, and He's the Savior. And today, I want to address this thought, Christ the Master. Christ the Master. Take your Bible, if you would, look over the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. 
We're going to get a glimpse of him, Jesus, the master. Christ the master. Paul the apostle stands unapologetically and says, we preach Christ, Christ crucified. Well, who is this Christ? He is master. He is master. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Luke chapter 8, verse 24, we read of this same passage, and it says, They came unto him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. May I say today that Christ is Master. And in this particular case, we know that they are out in the midst of the sea, and there in the midst of the sea, the wind and the waves are crashing upon the ships. It appears as though their life will be lost. They go before the Lord and they say, Oh, Master, Master, we perish. We're going to die. And Jesus simply takes his place and says, peace, be still. The Bible doesn't say he yelled. It doesn't say he cried. It doesn't say that he, he was any more forceful. He spoke, peace, be still. And the Bible says there was a calm. Can I tell you why? Because Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is master. He is master. It's amazing to think that nature itself recognizes Jesus Christ as master. But then again, no wonder, he is creator. And as creator, he is master over his creation. Christ makes his way into Jerusalem, which is often referred to as his triumphal entry. His disciples cast their garments before him and they cry out. And the Bible tells us in Luke 19, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among, from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He says, you can go ahead and shut up one aspect of my creation, but my friend, I'll tell you, the whole creation understands and recognizes me for who I am. I am Esther. And those rocks will cry out if those people don't. Because I am worthy of praise. His master, he has authority over the sea and over all creation, but we also recognize that his master, he has authority and power to heal. 
heal humanity. We see 10 lepers making their way to Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 17. Turn there, would you please? Luke chapter 17, verse 13. Luke chapter 17, verse 13. The Bible says, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go shew yourselves unto the priest. It came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. In verse 17, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? I just had to throw that verse in because it's always amazing to me that these were healed of an incurable disease in that day, and yet here they are, unwilling to offer thanks and gratitude to Jesus who healed them. Isn't, isn't it amazing to think of all that Christ has done for you and I? And if we are honest, we would have to admit that there have been times when we have not reciprocated with the kind of gratitude we ought to. But they say, Master, have mercy on us. Can I tell you that the master had authority and power to heal? An incurable disease that physicians could not heal, that no bomb could take away, but Jesus, the master, could do it. He had authority to heal. We think of the raising of Lazarus. Our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, has authority and power over death. In John chapter 11, verse 28, and when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. I'm so glad that the Master was there that day. I'm so glad that although Lazarus seemed to have no hope, and there he was, bound in, a, in his grave clothes in a tomb, yet the Master showed up that day. And he said to her, Jesus... Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Verse 43 of John chapter 11. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. You say, why did he cry out? Why did he call the name of Lazarus? I believe because if he didn't, they'd all come out. Yeah. Got to get specific. Can you imagine that day? I mean, old Lazarus, the Bible says, stunk. Can you imagine some of those bones coming out? He had to say Lazarus, otherwise I think they'd all popped out of that grave. Here comes old Lazarus, proving once again that as the master, he has authority and power over death. Jesus Christ, the master, the master. Nature itself recognizes Christ as the master. You and I also must recognize Christ as the master. It's been said, if he is the creator, then we are created. If he is master, then we are servants. I read us quote that goes like this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. 
Man, we fight for freedom today, don't we, in one sense. Sadly enough, we're not fighting for the right freedoms. But as individuals, we're fighting for freedom. We don't want nobody to tell us what to do, whether it's a boss or whether it's a husband, whether it's a, a, a friend, a family member, an authority, a, a God-given authority, whether it's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or whomever it may be. We want to live our own lives. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own things. But the Bible's clear, and so is this simple truth that we read in this quote. The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom. That's not what you should be fighting to find. That's not what you should be looking for most. You ought to be seeking and finding the master, who your master will be. See, we are all under someone's authority. The real question is, who will you submit to? Who are you going to personally submit yourself to? Because we are all under someone's authority. Paul's headed to Damascus. And Paul is going to persecute believers there. We know the Apostle Paul along the way is planning on putting many in prison and who knows, even taking their very lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. But while on that road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ meets up with him in a very personal and powerful way. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, turn there, would you please? We're going to see that. Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Paul's just making his way to one more city where he's going to do damage to the faith, where he's going to take it out on the believer, where he's going to do what he does best. He is a Pharisee, of the, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, he has credentials that are as long as your arm. He is doing a great job. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, and now he's going out to persecute the church and the believer. Acts chapter 9, verse 5, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord met with him on that road to Damascus. And there Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? It's interesting that he called him Lord. You'll notice in the Bible that, that those two words, Lord and Master, go together. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. that Paul or the Lord? <laughs> what wilt thou have me to do? What a question. Notice, I think it's interesting here, just very quickly, he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He didn't say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? No. He's fearful, he's trembling. Oh, Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? What a great question to ask the master. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul the Apostle asked the question, and may I say that over there in the book of Romans, as he's writing to the church at Rome, he makes it very plain and clear exactly what our responsibility is in this like manner. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now again, the Apostle Paul has written 11 chapters to the church at Rome. He's already expressed to them the mercies of God in 11 chapters. He showed them how they've been saved and how, they're to be, how they've been separated and sanctified and consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of those mercies I've extended to you, in light of the goodness that I have bestowed upon you, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here in this particular passage, it's obvious to see that, that there, the Apostle Paul now, after having his own encounter with Jesus Christ, after saying, what wilt thou have me to do? He wants us now to go before the Lord and say, listen, it is Mark O'Donnell reporting for duty, sir. I present myself unto you. Simply give me the orders and I will obey. And that's exactly what he says every believer's attitude ought to be toward their master. See, the truth is, again, that you and I are going to bow to someone. Either to God or self. You're going to bow. The question is, who are you going to bow to? Turn if you would to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We have a misunderstanding often. We somehow believe that we can straddle the fence. We can kind of play both sides of it. That we don't have to choose whom we will serve, but that's not true at all. We're going to bow, and we're going to serve one or the other, either God or self. And if you say self, may I say, and just kind of express self as being uh, Satan and his desire for you, because he is the little G God of this world, and he controls this world's systems. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We are introduced to the prophet Isaiah. And notice here in this particular chapter, the Bible says in verse 1, If in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood, above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. This prophet Isaiah, he gets a glimpse of God. He gets a glimpse of the master high and lifted up. And may I say, it wasn't until he saw the Lord high and lifted up that he saw himself, woe unto me. Oh, I'm so low. Oh, I'm so nothing. I'm a zero in his presence. He's so high. He's so lifted up. He's so beyond me. I'm nothing in his presence. Woe is me, he says. 
How you see God today will determine how you see yourself. If God in your eye is high and lifted up, then you'll see yourself low and humble before him. But if he's not high and lifted up in your eyes, then you will see yourself high and lifted up with pride before him. Now let me share the message. I'm going to give you the message now, okay? Got a white towel? You know where I can find a white towel? Oh, yeah, I'll take it. It's not very big, and it's probably got snot on it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with it, except for the chunks. There's not a teeth. Okay. He's my son. He's, he, he doesn't, it's not like that with us. Okay, that, I had to have that because here we are now, right? If he is the master, then we are servants. And the truth is today is that we go before the Lord today. What wilt thou have me to do? Your wish is my command. Send me, Lord. I'll go. Your wish is my command. That's how it ought to be in our lives. We are servants. Just like a server goes to a table and meets every need, we ought to go before the Lord Jesus Christ and meet his every need and fulfill his every desire and request for our life. Master, my wish is your command. Your will be done in my life. Speak, thy servant heareth. Send me, Lord. That's how it ought to be. But hold on. I'm very fearful today that this is what's really taking place in most of our lives. Watch very closely, please. What wilt thou have me to do? Your wish is my command. I want you to see who the master is here. It's me. Can I tell you, in Christianity today as a whole, we are all servants. The question is, who will you serve? Because if you're not serving him and bowing before his throne and the master, the Lord Jesus, the apostle Paul said, We preach Christ 
and Christ is the master. And yet so often we find ourselves coming to ourselves and saying, what wilt thou have me to do? Oh, I want you to go to this school, and I want you to do this job, and I want you to make this money, and I want you to comfort, to, to, to make me comfortable, and to care for this body, and to care for my needs, and to, to do everything that makes me successful and me look good. Anytime you make yourself the master, it's going to be about you. Hold on, before you start thinking how altruistic you may be, you can serve others and still be serving yourself. That's right. See, when you make up your mind that you're going to do something and it's really on your terms, then you are the master. It's, until, it's not until you yield to the master Jesus Christ and say whatever you want. Lord, your wish is my command. Oh God, Master Jesus, tell me what you want, where you want me to go, what you want me to do. But in most cases, it's not like that today. We go to church our whole lives, but every morning we bow to self and say, what wilt thou have me to do? Say, things are going good for me in my life right now. Man, God's opening tons of doors. Can I tell you, Satan can open doors too? He is the little G-God of this world. And when you wake up in the morning, who is it that you're most concerned about pleasing? Is it your wife, your husband? Is it your children? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? To our children, we say, well, I would never spank my child. I would never use the rod according to the Bible because I think it's cruel and inhumane. So who's the master? Because the Bible teaches that you ought to discipline your child. You ought to correct them. And the Bible even says that if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Oh, wait a second. Wives, I would never submit to my husband. He's an idiot. Oh, so who are you bowing before every day? What wilt thou have me to do? Because it's certainly not the Lord you're taking cue from. You're taking it from yourself or from society. Or may we dare say Satan then. Someone says, well, that's ridiculous. Hey, we're all going to bow. We're all bound to someone, something. May I say that when Paul stood there that day, and despite the view of the Jew, in spite the view of the Greek, and he boldly, without apology, said, we preach Christ crucified. He knew, he knew that it wasn't going to be approved, it wasn't going to be liked, and that he himself was going to invoke all the wrath of Satan and his minions. And yet he said, we preach Christ. We're going to stand for Jesus no matter the cost. We're going to live for God and obey Him. He is the sustainer. He's the creator. He's the savior. He is the master. Hey, we are all servants today. We're going to go before someone. What wilt thou have me to do? I wonder... Is it the man or woman in the mirror today for you? Or is it truly 
Jesus Christ, the master. That is something you and only you can choose and make, up, make the decision about today. Only you can do that. Well, I teach Sunday school. That means nothing. You can teach Sunday school and he is not your master. You could be doing that because that appeases your conscience. That makes you feel like you're somebody. That gives you purpose and, 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 and peace. And that's the only reason you do it. You feel like I'm, I'm obeying God and therefore I've earned God's favor. Let me tell you, that is not serving God then. There's nothing wrong with receiving the benefit of purpose in our life. God offers that and promises it. But when we do it his way, and he alone is master of our life, that's when the reward comes one day. And the Bible says over there in the book of Corinthians that there is a day coming, a judgment coming for believers. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account, not just for the the actual things we've done, but for the motivation for which we did it. The sort of works, he says it is. The sort of work. Who are you bowing to today? Who is your master? By the way, it's impossible. It's impossible to enter into a relationship with the Lord because you choose to do it on your terms. You have to come to him his way. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Lord said, listen, you have to understand something. Compared to me, you are nothing. You are the creation. I'm the creator. I love you with all my heart and I gave myself for you. But my friend, understand that I cannot... Fellowship with sin and unrighteousness. I'm not permitted because I'm holy and righteous. I can't enter into that kind of bond or relationship. You must be cleansed in order to come into my presence. For me to accept you into my family, for me to receive you unto myself, you've got to go through the blood of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross between heaven and earth. And as we said last week, he, the Savior, paid For your sin and for mine, in full, it is finished. But may I say that just because Jesus died doesn't mean everybody goes to heaven. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. We are all the creation of God. We are not all the children of God. We become a child of God when we, by faith, put our trust in Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says again to, 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 to Mary, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he are dead, yet shall he live. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to make a conscious decision to enter into a relationship with the Lord. Can you look back in your life and remember a time when you saw yourself as a sinner before a holy God? And the Holy Spirit of God convicted you of that sin and drew you to Jesus and caused you to fall on your face before God and humble yourself before the God of the universe and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, I deserve hell. I need you to forgive me and save me. I want to go to heaven and I want to be in your family. I don't want to pay for my sin. 
You may not have said it quite like that, but that was your heart. Because if he didn't draw you, you are never part of his family. He has to draw you to himself. And he does that through conviction, the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you know Christ as your Savior today? Teenagers, do you know Christ? I mean, if I said to you, are you sure, 100%, if you died this day that you'd go to heaven, what would your response be? Well, I think so. I'd like to believe so. I mean, I go to church. You see me. I'm here, right, preacher? Can I tell you, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What about the adults in the room? Oh, it's easy to hide behind a pew. It's easy to hide behind family. It's easy to hide behind an upbringing. But my friend, you'll never hide when you stand before Jesus one day. Because next week we'll talk about Jesus the judge. And can I tell you, he'll see right through all the lies. He'll recognize your heart. He'll see it for what it truly is. And my friend, let's stop playing games with God and recognize him as master and yield to him, submit to him, and yield to his authority today. Oh, Lord Jesus, first and foremost, I want a relationship with you. And I come to you asking you to save me and forgive me. Come into my life. I need you and cannot do without you. And then, after that, you make a decision to who you will bow before. Either self or he, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. Which will it be for you, believer? This morning, I believe that there's many of us that need to make a decision, a conscious decision, to give up following our own desires and our own goals and our own dreams that cease to start to cease to, to fulfill the desires of our, our flesh and the lust of our eyes. We say, enough's enough. I want Jesus Christ to be master. I want Jesus Christ on the throne. I've been doing things my way too long. It's time to bow before him instead of self. Jesus Christ. Paul the apostle, he stood before the crowds in every city that he went, He said, we preach Christ, crucified and risen again. Jesus, the Savior of the world. Will you allow him to be your Savior today? But remember, he is Lord and Master. Once you're saved, it's a decision you'll make. What decision have you made? If I had a, a scanner right now, and I could go through the crowd and focus on one face at a time, and it would register the sincerity of your heart. And I could say, is Jesus Christ your master? Does he truly guide and direct your every decision? Is he the one that you yield every decision to and authority to? And I took that scanner and I showed it on your face and said, all right, is he your master? Are you totally yielded to him as master? Or are you kneeling to self? What would it say today? In the pew, it's safe. Nobody knows your thoughts. 
but God does. Jesus Christ is master. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the simplicity of your truth. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. You said, Father, that no man can serve two masters who either hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. We can't serve God and mammon. Help us, Lord, we pray. I pray that Christians would make a decision today to truly obey the Lord. You've probably been speaking to hearts. You've been revealing deep, even secret needs in lives, things that should go away in our lives and things that we should receive into our lives. And sometimes, Lord, we just dismiss them. Lord, that's us bowing to self and following after ourself as master instead of you. Help us to die to self today, bow before you, and allow you to direct us today. And in this crowd today, there may be those who have never, ever settled their soul salvation. He cannot be your master till he is first your savior. Let him be your savior today. Let him save you from your sin. Won't you come to Christ today? You say, how do I do that? Well, we give opportunity for folks to find out because you know what? It doesn't matter what this church believes. It doesn't matter what I say in and of itself. What matters is what the word of God says. You come and we'll have someone take a Bible and show you his precious promises. Promises that can grant you and guarantee you confidence in your soul salvation. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Won't you come? As the music begins to play, Father, we come to you, ask, Lord, that you'd speak now in lives. Do your work as only you can in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Come on.